This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. And I am coming to you live tonight. That's the first thing you should know. Last week, I put together a, a 9-11 20th anniversary special, and I hope you enjoyed that. But that was mostly pre-recorded. We dipped back into the audio archives and dusted off some old interviews from a, as far back, I think, as 2012. Uh, but I am back live, and I'm also coming to you live from Zoomerplex, the home of Zoomer Radio in the uh, Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. And it has been several months since I've been here. And it's good to see my technical producer, Carlos Cagina, once again in the flesh. No, he's, come on, he's fully clothed. You have such a filthy mind. I'm in person. It's good to see him in person is what I meant. Um, and one of the reasons I'm here, aside from wanting to see Carlos again, is the receptionist here at Zuma Radio keeps emailing me. Come and pick up your mail. It's piling up. And, and boy, oh boy, do I have a lot of mail. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I'm here. And getting a little too comfortable in my home studio back in Thornhill. So a change of scenery is is good. Change in latitudes, change in attitudes. Isn't that the old saying? Um, anyway, look at this mail. Books from publishers. What, let me just, just bear with me here. Let's have a look. Crack some of these open. I get the most wonderful mail, I have to tell you. You know, books from vampire slayers. And uh, here's one. Dark Covenant, how the masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable, why the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil. A little light time reading, a little light fare. One more here, and then we'll get to down to business. Just bear with me. What is this one? Uh, hmm. I don't know. I don't want to bother with that one. And then lots of letters here. And I, if you wrote to me and you haven't heard back from me, my, I, here's one. Postmark July 6th uh, from Ione, California. I'll, I'll read these when I get home. Kitchener, a nice, uh, happy and peaceful Pascha holiday. Uh, I'm not sure where that one's from. Thank you. Anyway, uh, Guelph. Here's, oh, Express Post. Let's see what this is. 
Okay. This one is uh, June. Oh, my Lord. Has it been that long, Carlos? June 7th? Uh, oh, 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 look at this. This is from my grade eight teacher at Woodman Drive, my all-time favorite teacher. And he has written me a, a, a long letter. And I will, I'm going to read that at home. But um, again, my apologies letting this pile up. All right. Uh, that brings me back memories. What a wonderful teacher uh, he was and is a wonderful man. Uh, Victor Vigiani is a former school principal, speaking of teachers. But for the last 30 plus years, he's been very interested and concentrating on the, the UFO ET issue. He's one of Canada's most passionate UFO disclosure advocates. And uh, he's here tonight. He's here because, well, this is big news. Big, big news. The U.S. Congress has essentially told the Pentagon, start studying UFOs seriously. Start studying them seriously. And this is how serious this is. They've actually written, the Congress, that is, has written an amendment into the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. And so that carries some weight, obviously. So we'll uh, get into... Uh, that with Victor Vigiani in just a few moments in hour two. And Victor is going to hang around for this uh, as well. The Reverend Michael Carter is a longtime experiencer and he's had contact with entities, possibly extraterrestrial, possibly interdimensional. And uh, his latest book asks the question, are you experienced? Wasn't that the name of uh, Jimi Hendrix's first album, Carlos? Aren't you, are you experienced, right? That's Jimi Hendrix. Yes, I'm getting the thumbs up. But I, I think Hendrix meant it in a different way, or maybe not, I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, the Reverend Carter, his latest book is Initiation, The Spiritual Transformation of the Experiencer. And Reverend Carter will be here again in hour two to explain the spiritual transformation he and others have undergone as a result of extraterrestrial contact. Uh, now, one more piece of business before we get uh, Victor in here. A big, big thanks to our Star Chamber patrons, Deep Paul, Dr. E. Lyle Gross, and Tim Sullivan. Deep Paul, Dr. E. Lyle Gross, and Tim Sullivan, your uh, support and generosity. I, You can't imagine how grateful I am. Uh, words cannot express. This, this is just uh, so touching and humbling. I guess, I guess, well, these three are in our Star Chamber tier up at uh, Patreon, which means, I guess, this is the top tier. I guess this means they really, really love this program and, and my podcast and the newsletter and everything we do here. So thank you, uh, f really, from the bottom of my heart. If uh, I just mean so much. And it makes a big difference. It does. It really makes a big difference. So if you want to become an official donor, you can go to patreon.com slash strangeplanet, patreon.com slash strangeplanet, and then choose the tier that's right for you. There are several to choose from, uh, but any monthly contribution is greatly appreciated. All right, let's talk about the, uh, the U.S. Congress telling the Pentagon to study UFOs. Victor Vigiani is the executive director of Zealand Communications, his research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomenon spans, as I say, well over 30 years. 
His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalism in the field of ETI disclosure issues. Victor, welcome back. How are you, buddy? Just fine, Richard. <laughs> and you, it sounds like Christmas morning for you, opening all that kind of stuff under the tree. I, I got a half dozen books here and letters, and yes, it is. It's always it's Christmas, absolutely. Um, so. Speaking of mail, I mean, I got that, I got the interesting email. It was a press release you released through Zealand Communications. Right. Uh, about this um, breaking story, the U.S. Congress making an amendment uh, to the, uh, the, uh, the U.S. defense bill, amendment uh, to the bill, the, uh, the, the U.S. Authorization Act, right? right. The Defense yeah. Authorization yeah. Act. That's what it's called. And uh, so what, is that, what does that mean exactly? I, I, I spelled it out in very basic, simple terms. Yeah. They're basically telling the Pentagon to study UFOs, but surely it means more than that. Yeah, there's a, there's a real uh, chronology and a real history behind uh, how what you just described, uh, how it p- played out, how it panned out, how it began. And um, in order for your, your, you know, our listeners to really understand how this thing evolved over time, it's really important that they understand how this thing all got started. And it, it really did get started uh, back in 2017 when um, the New York Times uh, writers, uh, Ralph Blumenthal, Leslie Kane, and Helen Cooper, um, released a, a, an absolute blockbuster uh, article in, in the New York Times talking about the Advanced uh, Aerial Threat Identification Program that was instituted uh, by Harry Reid with a $2 million, 20, pardon me, $22 million funding mechanism through through the Senate. And that ATIP program, AAIP uh, program, was really kind of um, planned out over several years, from 2007 to 2012. And uh, they did actually investigate UFOs during that period of time, way before any of this started, um, and Luis Elizondo was the executive director right. of that program. That was a secret program. I That's mean, right. It operated uh, way, way behind any kind of secrecy walls that we could ever imagine. It was going on without anyone's uh, real uh, understanding that it existed. They, they had the, the, what they called the C-Wing in the, in the bottom basement of the Pentagon. Sounds very clandestine, but that's exactly what happened. And, and they it, well, you mentioned things. ATIP, the, 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 acronym, sta- the uh, acronym standing for... Uh, Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. So their their mission was, I guess, to determine whether these um, unidentified aerial phenomena, whether they posed any any risk, any national security threat, right, and so yeah. forth. That, essentially, that's what they did. Yeah, and and it was really kind of uh, interesting to see how much they looked at. And uh, I interviewed Luis Elizondo um, about six months ago, just after um, some of the stuff that he came forward about it, and he said that they went back as far as far back as, as the 90s to look at some things that were going on, and they came to the conclusion that these things, they didn't know what they were, were in fact some form of national security threat, and that, that, that's how things evolved. And then from there, uh, he, was, he became a little unsettled about what the ATIP program was doing, and we can get into those reasons at some other time, but in fact, he became very disenchanted with the approach that the that the Pentagon was taking at the time, and he resigned from his position as the uh, the, the director 
and National Security Advisor for the ATIP program. And with that, it's important to understand that he took three or four separate uh, videos with him. And how he did that, who knows. But in fact, he was the one who released these videos and got them out into the public domain. We call them the Tic Tac videos. Right. These were taken, this is Navy, Navy plane gun camera footage. That's right. Off the coast of San Diego. Exactly. And these crap look like Tic Tacs. And then because when he resigned, that's when he became a whistleblower and I guess went to Blumenthal, Keene and and Helen Cooper. And that's what precipitated the December 2017 New York Times article. That's right. That sort of opened up the floodgates because in my discussions with Rob Blumenthal, he was very clear that they had this this information and they really didn't know what to do with it, Richard. They really... They, they sat around for a long, long time in the in the in the editor's room and and I think it's in the, in the uh, with, with the publisher saying, you know, what should we do with this stuff? Much like the, the machinations that they did with the Pentagon Papers, they didn't know and Watergate too. They didn't know how hot this stuff really was, but it eventually turned out to be something very, very hot. And as a result of that, uh, several years later, we're moving forward now in time. Um, the the uh, the Intelligence Authorization Act. Uh, for the fiscal year 2021, was brought into play by the uh, Select Senate Committee on Intelligence. And this is a bill, this is a a de facto bill that's happened for 59 years in a row. So every year, the Senate Committee on Intelligence develops this bill. Basically, Richard, it's a funding bill. It gives all of the intelligence agencies and the military their their funds to operate for for that year. So it's something that's worked on every single year for the past 59 years. But there's a real big difference in this one that happened in 2020 as they prepared it. Uh, Marco Rubio, who was the chairman uh, at, at the time, and Mark Warner, who was the co-chair. Um, uh, Warner was a Democrat and, uh, and uh, R- Rubio was a sitting uh, Republican. They somehow uh, snuck in or inserted a section in that bill. And we don't know how or why that happened, but they put a section in there on advanced aerial threats. And they demanded, they required the Director of National Intelligence to provide that committee, the Select Senate Committee, with a report, a complete report of all the data that the the Defense Department had about UAP. And that was a significant starter button that was pushed by uh, Rubio and Warner to get this thing all going. And that, that, that Defense Act, uh, Fiscal Act, was really, really important in kick-starting everything that's happened that we're seeing today. Right. When, the, when those Tic Tac UFO uh, videos were released, uh, Rubio, a Republican senator from Florida, really kind of took the lead on that and, and, and was voicing his concern that, you know, if these aren't ours... So that leaves us two options. They're either extraterrestrial, I don't know if he even used that term, but the other option, of course, was, uh, the, you know, these are our adversaries that have this technology. And if our adversaries have this technology, mainly, you know, the Russian or the Chinese, we are in deep doo-doo because as the, uh, you can hear the uh, the pilots in the Tic Tac videos, again, these are, I, I believe they were, the F-15s, they were, these uh, planes, they were attached to a uh, uh, an air carrier Aircraft carrier group off the the USS Nimitz, or I'm not sure what craft it was. Anyway, um, so it, he he's been very vocal about this. He's very concerned about 
the national security risk they might pose. So I guess he was one of the driving forces. But wasn't there a big, there was a, supposed to be a big dump from the Pentagon this past summer that kind of fizzled and went nowhere, right? Yeah, that's right. It really didn't, uh, it didn't provide anything that was uh, specific in terms, they were required to report. That's, that's the main thing that they, they were required to do. And they, they did a one longer report. Um, I'm not sure how long it was, but it was a significantly long report uh, that outlined what they had investigated as required uh, by the, the, the Senate, the Select Senate Committee. And that was called the, the Preliminary Assessment on Identified Aerial Phenomena. That was uh, the 25th of June, 2001. Right. And it was submitted as an intelligent assessment to outline the threats posed by these UAP and the progress that the Department of Defense was making at the time through this, this body called the, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, the UAPTF. Right, sorry, I think you said 2001. You meant 2021, right? Uh, pardon me, yes, it is. Pardon me, yes, you're yeah. right. 2021. It wasn't quite that far back. Thank <laughs> you for that correction. In any case, uh, yeah, the, this was a preliminary report, and many people were really disappointed in the way this report was framed, at least the public section of it. And it sort of didn't sit well with a whole lot of people, but it did actually uh, clarify the Defense Department's position on this. And as everybody would, you know, really understand, they, they did a great job in defining or framing this whole issue as a national security threat. Right. They didn't want to go into the kinds of things that we've been talking about for decades in terms of, you know, UFOs and why they're here and uh, whether they're extraterrestrial or not. No, they went on the side of, we don't know what these things are, we have no idea, although many people do feel that they do know that, but the data shows that these things are unidentified, we don't know where they're from, they could be foreign adversaries, they're, they could be our own, own technology, we don't know. The fact of the matter is, as Rubio said, these are a national security threat. And that's where they pretty much left it. Right. It, it was very clever on, on their part. I, th- I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Victor, because you, you dive deep into these. I, I thought that they had basically uh, admitted that the technology is not ours. Um, but they were kind of leaning towards, it could be, we can't say for sure, it could be our adversaries, which was kind of a, a very clever way of asking for more money. Because if they're, if this technology is our adversaries, we're not saying 100%, but if it is, you know, we need to figure out how to counteract that. We need more money. Well, that's, that's exactly what I would I would. Yes, Richard, 90% of the uh, UFO research community, how they understood this, this particular uh, the statement by the Defense Department or the, the, this task force. And it was um, it, it, a, kind of a less than blatant attempt to get some more money into the funding bill, the, the Fiscal Act of 2021, to make sure that the United States had the right uh, amount of funding to uh, protect itself from these so-called national security threats. And that is how people bought it, and that's how people in the military bought it. That's how the Pentagon framed it, and it just sort of sat there. And people didn't really take a take the opportunity to understand what really was behind all the wording. And the wording was like simply nine pages. And if you read it, it's just another way of of framing secrecy. That's all it was in in my in my estimation. They they put the data out there. They said they don't know what it is, and, and then they fell back once again to the national security threat. So, yeah, I think you're right. It was a very kind of cunning way 
to, uh, to, to look at obtaining more funds for the military and intelligence agencies. So now we have an amendment um, into the National Defense Authorization Act, as you say, they do this every year or have for the last six decades, uh, which is it's funding for not only the Pentagon, but also the various alphabet intelligence agencies. But there's usually some pet projects in there. Uh, and in this case, it is a directive for the military to study the UFOET issue. Mm-hmm. Now, um, isn't this basically just a tip under a under a different name? I mean, and 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 secondly, and and we're almost into the break here. We can discuss when we come back. Secondly, do we even know for sure that a tip, the previous incarnation under Luis Elizondo? Uh, isn't still operating, even though they told us, I think, 2012, they shut it down. But mm-hmm. do we know that for certain? Right. Well, yeah, I think that the, the whole idea about the pet projects, I mean, I, I've got the act in front of me here, Richard, and uh, the, the, the act that you're referring to, the fiscal year uh, 2021, it talks about, you know, funds for chemical agents, munitions, dumps, uh, U.S. Army retirement homes, the Space Force, so there's a whole litany of things that um, that the the fiscal act is uh, setting aside for the military and the intelligence agency. So and then in all of this, it did ask for funds to do the same basic thing as ATIP did, but in a more direct way. And this and the conduits through which it happens through the de- uh, Department of the National um, uh, Intelligence Agencies and also to the Office of the Inspector General. That's when things really, really got complicated. So those two agencies, the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, and uh, the Office of the uh, Secretary uh, General, we can talk about that on the other side of the break. These two things, these two entities, really kind of massaged this whole issue into a much, much bigger aspect in the ATIP program, as it turns out. All right. Victor, hold on. We'll come back and we'll discuss uh, the amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, ordering the Pentagon and various other agencies to study in earnest the UFO-ET issue. Victor Vigiani stays with us from Zeland News Network, Zeland Communications, back with more in a moment. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Just continuing to go through my mail here, I see a book has arrived. Uh, Probably a couple months it's been sitting here anyway from my good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Uh, Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, and then uh, our good friend Thomas Horn from Skywatch TV. They do great work, great books. Uh, Zeitgeist 2025, Countdown to the Secret Destiny of America. So uh, these have arrived, and I will get these people on on the uh, show soon. All right, Victor Vigiani stays with us from Zeland Communications. We're talking about this U.S. uh, Congress amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act asking... Asking or demanding? I mean, how much weight does this carry, Victor, uh, that they study UFOs? Is this a command? Do they have to, does the Pentagon have to follow this? Well, in a, in a way, that's exactly what it is, because as Luis Elizondo framed it in one of his um, discussions with uh, one of the agencies or one of the, uh, the interviews that he did, he said that this, this authorization act, the fiscal act of 2000, for 2021, is essentially a budget bill. 
And that's how all of the agencies, the intelligence agencies and the military, every single department within, within the military, get their money. So in order for them to receive their money, they have to comply with this entire act. It's not like it's a menu. They can pick and choose what they want to do. They have to comply with every single element in this act. And once they do, the money flows. So uh, when you call it a requirement or a demand, yes, uh, when, when the bill, when the Authorization Act said to the Director of National Intelligence, which is part of the agencies to get money, when they said, provide our committee with all of the data that you have on UAP, uh, it, 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 it is a requirement, it is a demand that the Director of National Intelligence actually do this. And further to that, which is really important to, and really kind of interesting to understand, that the Office of the uh, Inspector General, just after this was all passed, put in place uh, an, an evaluation process, an oversight process, where they, the Office of the, uh, the Inspector General, actually monitored what the Director of National Intelligence was doing with respect to how they crafted their inspection or their investigation of the UFO phenomenon. So no, not only was the Senate watching, the Office of the Inspector General was also watching the Director of the National Intelligence do, in fact, what they required that office to do. So there's a whole lot of things that, in fact, did require um, the, the Pentagon and the military and all these agencies do in order to receive their funds. Okay, so... Is there a requirement to, uh, on a yearly basis, every six months, to report back? Uh, can they can they claim we can't release these documents because of national security issues? Can they produce redacted documents? How open would this and, and transparent will this, um, you know, reporting be back to the to these Senate committees? Yeah, excellent question. Uh, like most of the other uh, things that came down from the Director of National Intelligence with the preliminary report, there was a longer, a much longer classified report. So uh, through this new amendment uh, sponsored by Ruben Gallego, he's a representative from Arizona, and he sponsored the uh, the actual amendment. And it, it, it's sort of a, a, a demand within a demand, if, you, if I can put it that way again. So the, the demand that he said, uh, that the Secretary of Defense, to establish an office to carry out the mission currently operated by the uh, United, uh, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. So do the same thing that the task force did, but do it in a way that's within the Department of Defense. That's the big difference. The, 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 uh, the UAP task force didn't do it within the actual Defense Department. But this requirement, this amendment by Gallego, required it to be within the Defense Department, which is a really, really important part. And then the other part of it is, to answer your question directly, is to submit an annual report uh, to the Select Committee on the aerial phenomena. And not only an annual report, they're required to, re uh, to report quarterly uh, on this. Now, with respect to how public that, um, that report would be, there will probably be exactly the same thing a classified report, a longer report, a much more in-depth report. But then, you know, as, as you, you and I have understand secrecy all, all along for many, many years, there will be a public report that's a little bit more uh, sanitized, I would imagine. That's my guess. It may happen the other way completely. Uh, we don't really know. But there will be a classified report, and there will be uh, a public report. And so that's the, uh, the idea behind this whole um, initiative that Galeo put in place. And once again, 
I, I, I do have to say, I've never heard of Ruben Gallego, and why would he be interested in all this stuff? That's in the a very same good way, right. my question would be as to why Marco Orubio uh, would be in, 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 you know, so involved in this. I, I don't know what their motivation is. Is it political? Is it sort of personal self-interest? Why would they be interested in UAP? I would love to know the answer to that question. Well, let's speculate a bit. Do, do you, and I know you've thought of this, has, do you think Rubio may have had, when you say personal interest, do you mean he's had an encounter that he could be a contactee? <laughs> wow, that's, that's, a, that's a big speculation. It's a long branch to climb out on. But uh, when you look at some of the people, Richard, who have been involved in this this phenomenon over the last 75 years, and I could rhyme off at least a dozen of them who are, are military people uh, who have, you know, been involved, you know, stated things about citing reports and been involved in, you know, sending out memos and things like that, uh, a lot of them down the road have either said specifically that, they, yes, I had my own UFO encounter or my own UFO sighting. Uh, Captain Robert Salas is a very good example of that. And maybe we can dwell on that for a second, because um, Robert Salas was involved in the missile shutdowns in Malston Air Force Base in the late 1960s. And he was on, you know, 60 feet underground and received information that uh, this red UFO was hovering over there, over the gates, and then shut down um, you know, 12, of, 12 of the missiles at that time. So that was something he was directly involved in. And then lo and behold, many, many years later, almost two decades later, he came forward to say that he, in fact, did have um, a contactee experience, uh, an abduction experience. So this is not untypical of people that are in the military who come forward for one reason or another and make a statement about this whole UAP or UFO phenomenon, and then down the road, they, they, they let it loose. Yes, I did see a UFO. I saw several UFOs, whatever it might be. And some of them even report contact experiences. So it could be well within the range of speculation that Rubio may have had a, um, an encounter himself. I, you know, I can't say that for sure. We could never do it. But uh, this kind of stuff, if, if you go through an, a UFO sighting, it really gets to you. It really shakes up your whole worldview about what you believe. Now, you know, Rubio ran for president at the, you know, way back when, and he would never have admitted it back then, but now he's in a safer space, and he's, he's positioning himself to say or do something, I think, uh, very spectacular about this down the road, once all of this information gets washed through the Defense Department and the Pentagon. So right. it wouldn't surprise me in the least, uh, Richard. And, and the sponsor uh, of the bill from the, or the, or the House of Representative version, uh, the Democrat from Arizona, uh, let's speculate a little bit. I'm just, I'm going to say maybe, maybe he was in 90s, was it uh, the Phoenix Lights? Uh, what year was that again? 2000 and... Uh, uh, 97. 97, believe, right, yeah. right. 97. Mm. Maybe, who knows? Maybe hey, he was it? part of the Phoenix Lights mass sighting. Hard to say. It really is, because if, if you look at some of his uh, his uh, congressional uh, websites, the, the, the picture that he has, it doesn't state exactly how old this, this fellow is, but He's, uh, he's just a young fella, and he could very well have been uh, either p- part of that, saw it, or at least was told by his parents or whatever, or his friends, that this uh, particular sighting, the huge sighting at the, in, you know, over Phoenix with the Phoenix Lights, he could have been part of that. We, we just don't know. And uh, it, it always amazes me, and I go back to that again in terms of people who have had sightings, they, they, 
they, they let it sit within them for a while, and then for one reason or another, it comes out. It becomes public. Now, he may or may not say that eventually, but uh, there has to be a motivation. People just just don't do things for for, for um, just for the heck of it. They do it for, for either political motivation or because they're internally driven to do it, because the UAP issue has a way of uh, getting inside of your mindset, changing your worldview, and making you do and say things that you might not say ordinarily. So the um, the injection of this advanced aerial threat section into this budget bill, is there a, a, a dollar amount? You, you, we know that $22 million was set aside for the, the original ATIP program under Senator Harry Reid and that Louis, Louis Elizondo was part of. Is there a dollar amount affixed to this project? I have read uh, most of it, Richard. I've read the itemized versions of everything um, once or twice, and all they do is specify uh, the, the, uh, the items as they research and development for uh, operation and maintenance of, of, uh, of capital funds, for example. Uh, but there, I have not read any dollar figure that I can see that's been allocated to that uh, advanced aerial threat section. I would consider it to be, you know, multiples of the $22 million that um, uh, that Harry Reid obtained through the Senate funding. I would think it would be multiples of that to, to uh, oh my goodness, I would say, I would guess at least $200 million would, would be allocated to that. And the, the, the funds that they allocate to these other things are huge. So um, my guess would be this would be in the millions and millions of dollars. All right. We'll uh, take another time out. When we come back, we'll find out how the former director of ATIP, Luis Elizondo, feels about all this. And um, also, how far back do they have to go? Do they just have to report on sightings going forward? Do they have to? Do they have some legal box somewhere containing artifacts? Do they have to divulge that? We'll find out. Victor Vigiani stays with us. Zeland Communications back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after these. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. So, Victor, um, so many questions, so little time. Uh Will will they have to, they, the Pentagon, uh, the intelligence agencies, anyone who has access to materials relating to UFOs, how far, do they have to go back as well if they have, do they have to clear out the cupboards? They Oh, look, I found a file re, uh, concerning the uh, Roswell, which was never released. Do they have to give up that sort of thing? If they have, I don't know, if they have, you know, material, um, um, trace evidence. Well... That, that, I, li- I love that term, clear the cupboards. That's a very good way of looking at it. Old Mother Hubbard, right? Um, it, it, yeah, with the preliminary act, the, the, the first one that the, um, that the Pentagon released, um, it, it, it sort of set the, the time frame, and it was really kind of ludicrous when you, when you look at what the time frame actually was. They only went back as a result of the of the investigation, that, it, that events that occurred between 2004 and 2021. Now, that's absolutely, you know, in any kind of investigation, the, that parameter is just un, totally unreasonable and tailored to meet their own way of wanting to define this thing. Now, if you go back to the act itself, and I've got it right here in front of me, and it says, report on all data that you have. 
And that's what the preliminary report did. It reported on all data that it had from 2004 to 2021. Now, when you look at the, the classified version of that, it would have to be mandated that the Defense Department, through this new office that, uh, uh, that's been created through the amendment, look at all of the data. Now, what does all of the data mean, and how deep do they want to dig? And if the Inspector General's um, oversight process is really effective and it has any teeth to it at all, if the if this, these these reporting agencies come forward and say, well, we only looked at you know from 1985 forward, no, 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 that's not what we asked you. We want all of the data. Now, what data means? It could go from you know you and I know about Roswell. We've talked about it. We've had experts on about it. But we also know that in 1942 there was a crash and there was another crash. Uh, you know, in the Saint Augustine Plains near Roswell again. So. To be authentic about this and not to have to, you know, be redefined over and over again. No, give us more, give us more. They they, they are forced to, they're required to report on all data. Now, including, you know, sighting reports and, and, and crash retrievals. There's another big one. Crash retrievals, in my mind, has to be some really, really important part about that. That's number one. And the other one, we talked about it earlier, Richard, is this whole idea of nuclear missile shutdowns. Right, the right. Shutdown, that, that, to me, is the big deal. That, that, that is the game breaker. And if the Pentagon does not report on that, you know that we're not getting the full goods because it happened multiple times at multiple Air Force bases and nuclear launch facilities, not just Malmstrom Air Force Base. It happened at many, and it's still going on. So if the, if the Pentagon does not report on that, if the DOD does not, we will know that they're not being authentic about what they're doing. Now, who, who has the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the power to call the question on these agencies? I don't know about right. that. But, and this, but this, this bill would not cover, I'm guessing, uh, these black ops or these special programs that are not that they have no congressional oversight, that even the former director of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff couldn't get read into. Oh, for sure, yes. You bring up a good point. These whole black operations, um, it's, uh, as Senator Inouye said way back when, um, there is a government within a government that we just do not have access to. That continues to be a problem, continues to be an ongoing level of secrecy that some people... Uh, who, uh, you know, the, the highest officials, the Secretary of Defense, uh, you name it, any kind of lawyers within the Defense Department, or people who want to look at this stuff, if those black ops are, in fact, as deep as they are, and my assessment is, Richard, they are as deep as, as they can ever be, there, are, there is information there that if it were to be, this is just my own speculation now, okay, and I have a, a pretty good authority that this information is there, that they know that these departments in the in the uh, in the black operations know, in fact, a about the technology that these UAP use in order to travel at or beyond light speed. They know that anti-gravitic propulsion systems are, in fact, possible and even being experimented upon uh, within the, the the government. How they can they can use the whole catchphrase of national security not to release those kinds of things, and who can wrench that free? God only knows, Richard. 
what are the, what's going to end up on the president's desk? Is, is someone going to, uh, you know, drop a piece of uh, memory foil on his desk and say, look what we found? <laughs> I love that. You have a great way of framing the questions. Well, what, what's going on right now is that there are two separate um, uh, things going on. There's a separate thing going on in the Senate in terms of crafting a bill uh, that the Senate has with respect to putting it on the desk of the president. This bill is, you know, how this thing is all going to pan out. And there's another, what they call a resolution in the House of Representatives. There are two separate, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, streams of information that the House of Representatives are going to do and that the Senate's going to do. And they somehow have to figure out a way to bring these two bills and, and resolutions to um, a, a common kind of um, a, a common kind of bill, so that they can agree upon what has to happen, and that's got to include all of the fiscal responsibilities uh, for for the funding, and it also has to include the UAP issue. So they're really struggling to get this bill in one form, so that it can arrive after it's passed in the Senate and in the House of, House of Representatives, and can arrive on the desk of the president to sign. Now, what that bill's going to look like is, is anybody's guess, but I don't think anybody in the Senate or the House of Representatives is going to balk at the idea of having something in those that, that, that common bill that will uh, not include the UAP phenomenon, because it's gone too far, and they can't, they, they, they will not uh, eliminate that aspect of the, of the Fiscal Act in order for it to go onto the president's desk. So, to, to me, what's got to happen is that uh, it may not be a piece of material, although it may allude, allude to it in the, in the classified section, it very well could, but it will allude to the fact that the president of the United States will be signing a bill that will continue this four- or five-year program to investigate UFOs, and the general public and the, you know, the international community are just going to have to deal with what comes out of that continuous reporting it's going to have to happen over the next four or five years. All right. We'll uh, take a quick time out, uh, Victor, when we come back. I do want to get back to Luis Elizondo. Yeah, and sure. uh, also we have to talk about that conference in San Marino, Italy, that happened uh, last week. Victor Vigiani stays with us, Zealand News Network, and uh, The Conspiracy Show returns in mere moments. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Just want to quickly acknowledge some of these uh, letters and so forth. Uh, so the Happy and Peaceful Pascha, uh, which, of course, was back in April, uh, that lovely card comes from Melanie. Melanie, thank you for that. And very quickly, this one just, uh, this is from Las Vegas. Uh, August 29th. Okay, that's not too bad. Uh, dear Richard, your interview with Don Donder. Uh, Don Don Derry, my apologies. Don Don Derry. Yes, he was terrific. That was simply fantastic. He's the most knowledgeable and intelligent person I've ever heard on the subject. Hope you have him back on for a full four-hour show. Ah, that was probably... We had Don Don Derry on Coast to Coast. That was... uh, I think that's what uh, the letter writer from Las Vegas is referring to. And I'm sorry, I can't read the signature. uh, But thank you so much for that and all your letters. All right, back to Victor Vigiani. We're talking uh, about the, um, uh, I guess, re-injecting... The advanced aerial threat uh, section into this massive defense budget bill, um, Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, and uh, Mark Warner, and then there was a House version from 
uh, House uh, representative from Arizona. Anyway, so I wanted to get your, your take on uh, Luis Elizondo, who resigned from the original ATIP program, mm-hmm. blew the whistle, which led to the New York Times article in 2017. What does he make of all this? Well, he's, uh, as I said earlier in, in our discussion, uh, Richard, I, I interviewed Luis uh, about six months ago. And this is just after everything kind of broke, and he kind of was doing his first series of interviews with, with people. And he was very, um, I, I don't like the word cagey, but reluctant to, to, to divulge too much. But he did say that more was coming, that what he learned at the, uh, within the ATIP program was so disturbing, was so um, revelatory to him, that he, he said, uh, I need I need to do something about this. We cannot keep this with, within the Defense Department. It's, this is not classified information. These videos were not necessarily classified as as um, as national security uh, threatening at the time. So he was convinced that this stuff had to go forward, and the um, the Department of Defense and the Pentagon were not willing to do that, and that's why he resigned. So he resigned, took took the three or four videos with him and made them public. And he went on many, many different programs, interviews, so on and so forth, uh, and made his case that this stuff has to be. The biggest one was 60 Minutes. And he was on 60 Minutes uh, last year to really divulge to the American public and to the world what he had done uh, with respect to his job at, at the ATIP program. And in my estimation, 60 Minutes is, is, the, is the throne of media coverage in the United States. If you make it on 60 Minutes, you got it made. Right. And that's what Luis Elizondo did. Right. A similar, uh, you know, explosive interview with it Robert is. Bigelow. Exactly. Uh, also, who was involved in ATIP. I guess he was kind of administering that $22 million. You bet. So, uh, there's an interesting, you mentioned, you, you sent me an email uh, with some information here, and mm-hmm. one of the, the names that pops up is the Pentagon spokesperson, Susan Goff, or Gal. Right. And I, I seem to remember that name. Remember when there was that that huge story that came out that uh, the, the Pentagon has UFO technology uh, from crash sites. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Susan Goff or Gao who uh, was front and center and kind of walked that back and said, no, what we meant was, you know, these were not UFO crash sites. These were, uh, you know, th- this is foreign technology that we've recovered. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Okay, yes, well, I, do. I think that was Susan Goff, right? Exactly. You're exactly right. It was Susan Goff, yeah. All right. Somehow she's she's kind of involved in an interesting story with Elizondo and Danny Sheehan, who was on our program uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's right. Uh, what, what Susan Goff did as a spokesman for the Pentagon was completely attempt to destroy Luis Elizondo's credibility. And she denied, she was the spokesperson that said that he had no role in the ATIP program. He was not the security advisor. He was not the director of the program, which was absolute balderdash. It was, in fact, a bald-faced lie. And uh, what happened after that, and I'll try to make this as, as quick as we can because I do want to get to San Marino, but what, what happened from there was that Luis Elizondo became so indignant about this, he asked uh, Danny Sheehan, a congressional or their, uh, constitutional lawyer, to represent him at the time. So what they did, they demanded an audience with uh, the Office of the Inspector General. And they sat down on June 15th with the, in the Office of the Inspector General with their lawyers for four hours. And what Danny Sheehan said to these people, we want Susan Goff to stop denigrating 
um, Luis Elizondo, because what she's saying is absolutely false and it's a lie. And if uh, we, 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 we present a, a very good argument about this, and we can, in fact, prove that everything that she says is a lie about Luis Elizondo. So for four hours, they, they argued about this and eventually got the, the, the accommodation that, in fact, Luis was the director of the program and he was the, the, the security officer. So they cleared that issue up quite quickly, thanks to Daniel Sheehan. And so, so Luis Elizondo has, in fact, been vindicated. And now what he's doing, he's writing a book on this. He's writing sort of a, uh, call it an autobiography. I'm not quite sure, but, but regarding uh, that information, the people have to know about this. And what he's saying is the, the, this whole idea of the UIP narrative, the conversation is only just beginning, and he's going to be releasing some unheard of details in this book. What it includes, who knows? But I'm really curious and very expectant about what this, what this book is going to say to us from his perspective. Okay, so about a week and a half ago, uh, September 8th to the 12th, there was this uh, conference in San Marino, Italy. Uh, a number of international countries or representatives attended. What was it about? Who was there? And what, what was uh, accomplished? Well, really, that's a, it's, a, it's a great kind of a opportunity to realize how international this whole issue has become, because from September the 8th to September the 12th, there was a huge meeting of, uh, well over, my information, well over 1,500 people in San Marino, Italy. And what the whole, um, it was a phenomenon uh, that happens regularly, okay? This, this happens uh, yearly. But what they did this year is very unique, was that San Marino is a member state of the UN. And we had two people from the ICER um, uh, organization, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, do a presentation to the San Marino group. And what they did was... They, they, they were asking the San Marino delegation and the San Marino government, uh, their, their organization, to put a petition or a proposal before the U.N. to organize an annual U.N. conference on UFOs. And that's a, this very short scenario about what, what really happened. And there was two groups, one Italian UFO group and the ICER group, who proposed that the U.N. be... Um, uh, be responsible for organizing a world UFO conference. And apparently, from my information, I've yet to talk to uh, the vice president of, uh, of ICER, uh, Gary Hasseltine, I've yet to talk to him about whether or not that proposal A was voted on. My information is that, that it was, uh, uh, and then what will happen next in terms of how the UN will respond to this. Um, they have to respond to it to this request by uh, the San, Marie De- San Marino delegation to actually have a world UFO conference, which is an international story that will eventually unfold if the UN does agree to this kind of, uh, this kind of conference. All right. Uh, so we'll watch that. That's interesting. But l- let me just go back one more time. We just have a minute here. Sure. Uh, back to the National Defense Authorization Act, the Pentagon and defense agencies uh, or intelligence agencies being told to study the UFO uh, issue and report back and give us everything you've got. Um, is this is this going to lead perhaps to, to more um, congressional hearings, uh, public hearings, the way that, uh, you know, we had those that sort of that mock congressional hearing with... Uh, that you participated in. Mm-hmm. Could we get an actual one this time? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. I was going to bring it up during our conversation earlier, but uh, the other issues are just as important. I'm so glad you brought it up, because if, if this whole scenario unfolds over the next four or five years, 
as the U.S. Congress and the Senate do what they do ordinarily with every other issue, as soon as something that really comes up that's so integral to, to, uh, to national security, whatever it might be, like, like Watergate uh, or, or whatever, it, the first response is always to have public hearings on this. And there is no, as far as I'm concerned, and I know Stephen Bassett believed this too, I've talked to Richard Dolan about it, the only option that has to come during this whole process of the reporting uh, by the Director of National Intelligence is, in fact, some form of Senate hearings to bring it forward uh, in a public way, to bring forward pilots, to bring forward people like Robert Salas with the missile shutdowns, to bring forward all of the people who have investigated this over the years, uh, the, you know, the, the Phoenix Lights and the pilots that have, to, that have had actual experiences. They have to get these people before the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee to actually construct hearings to get all the information out and have the general public hear what every single military officer, pilot, and experiencer has, has, has gone through over the past, you know, okay. 35 I, or 40 years. It's got it. absolutely incredibly important that that happens. All right. Uh, we're uh, coming up on the top of the hour. When we come back... The Reverend Michael Carter will be here asking, are you experienced? Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. And uh, we are dedicating the entire show tonight, this morning, to the unidentified aerial phenomenon, ET, and contact issues. Uh, the Reverend Michael Carter is with us. He's written articles on UFOs and religion for such publications as UFO Magazine, Alien Encounters, the MUFON UFO Journal, Contact Forum, uh, the Space Newsletter, a UFO support group in New York City. He's spoken at UFO conferences such as the Second Philadelphia Need to Know Conference, the annual Long Island UFO Conference with Bud Hopkins, as well as appearing on radio and TV appearances across the nation. His uh, book, Alien Scriptures, Extraterrestrials, and the Holy Bible caused quite a stir, and he is uh, back with a, uh, a brand new one, paperback edition now available. It's called Initiation, the Spiritual Transformation of the Experiencer. Michael Carter, welcome. How are you? Do we have Michael there? There we are. Michael? Michael Carter. Not sure what's happening. All right. Do we still have? Oh, okay. If you're if you're hearing me, Michael, I, it sounds like your mic might be off. You're connected, but for whatever reason, you're not hearing us. Uh, Victor Vigiani stays with us as well. Zealand News Network, Zealand Communications. Um, let's try again. Do we have Michael yet? Hmm. Okay. All right. I Can you hear me? Now we have you, sir. How are you? That's weird. I had my headphones on. As soon as I took them off, now you can hear me. Well, if it's weird, you've come to the right place, my friend. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> it's all <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. I c- couldn't even begin to. T- I could fill a week's worth of shows just of all the unusual things that have occurred while we're on the air. But we're delighted to have you, Michael, and congratulations on the new book, Initiation: The Spiritual Transformation of the Experiencer. Please say hello to my special co-host tonight, Victor Vigiani. Have you two met before? No. Hi, Victor. Hello, Michael. It's so good. It's so good to be with you. Uh, I, have, I have so many questions for you, and uh, I'm I'm going to be del- diving into your book as soon as we finish uh, this interview later on uh, and uh, tomorrow morning because I'm fascinated by some of the topics that you deal with. So I can't. I just can't wait. Oh, thank you so much. I- I'm just glad to be back, and I'm glad. My God, I'm glad I could hear you now. I was, I was, I, you know, I always get nervous about these things, uh, uh, you know, because technology. And um, you can't live with it, but you can't live without it. So I'm glad to be here, and it's good to meet you. So, Michael, you and I, we talked on my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. Yes. Uh, this is your first time on, the, on the, the terrestrial radio program, we'll call it, the terrestrial radio program. So let's just, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because I, I want to get into your, the, the new book. Uh, sure. But the just kind of the hit the high notes regarding your, I believe, two adult contacts with entities. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll hit the high notes. I, I've had many, um, and and they continue. But my first one as an adult was in December 1989, coming back from visiting the uh, uh, pyramids in Chichen Itza and Tulum on the Yucatan. I was there with my girlfriend at the time on vacation. And uh, I just want to preface this with, I'm not a star, well, I wasn't, uh, into any type of science fiction or anything like that at all. Um, and so when we got back to New York, which is where I was living at the time, I, I was invited to a party. My girlfriend said, you know, it's cold. I'm tired. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay home. You go. It was freezing. But I wanted to gloat, you know, coming back from vacation. My friends were freezing. I just came back from Mexico. So I went to the party. And again, you know, no, no, it didn't stay long. No adult beverages or anything. I probably ate a ton of deviled eggs. I'm, 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 that's my weakness. I love them. And so uh, I caught the subway back home. And even to this day, I don't know if it was... Um, because I had to get up and maybe go to the bathroom or whatever, but I sensed a presence in the room. And when I turned around at the foot of my bed, this was December 28, 1989, uh, there was a being at the edge of my bed. My girlfriend either could not or did did not wake up. Um, and they were, they were gray, but whitish gray, uh, with the pear-shaped head, very spindly, about four feet tall, had on a jumpsuit, kind of thing that looked like it was made of Reynolds wrap and it stared at me and I thought my heart was going to come out of my chest and I just crawled up in the fetal position and pulled the covers up over my head now my whole room was lit up uh it, there was a blue like a a cobalt blue light around him or her and then there was this huge white light and when I pulled the cover up over my head I heard this wishing like like the wind was blowing and the temperature changed in the room. I could have sworn I was outside. But when I pulled the covers back, I was I was in my room. It was like nothing had happened. It was deathly quiet. How, how many how many of them were there, uh, Michael? There was one that I saw. Okay. Now, now, speaking to my 
a girlfriend at the time who was my first wife. I speak to her almost twice a week. And when this book came out, she said it had triggered some things for her. But she, she, she said she remembered that night by reading the book. And she said that she had this overwhelming desire that she just had to sleep. And she saw like these shadowy beings in the room. That was those were her words. And they had big heads. And she said, but all of a sudden she could not. She just had to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. The second one, um, and there have been ones in between, but was July 4th, uh, 2013, when I had a healing of a blood clot. That was from a very different being altogether. More humanoid, blonde hair, uh, very muscular guy. It was July 4th, 2013. It was thunderstorming here. And um, I have a lot of friends who served in Vietnam. And I remember them telling me about you just you were in your you were in your foxhole, uh, not unless you were on patrol or a listening post, and you had to sleep in the rain. And you could hear the ingoing and outcoming artillery and um, or mortars and that kind of thing. And I remember specifically because the lightning that night was so intense, it felt like artillery fire. And I remember this was at not, uh, 9.50 p.m. Uh, I remember it because it was a godsend because I hate fireworks. And I used to go being a nice dad every year. And when it rained here, they canceled them. I was so happy. My daughter and my ex used to love these things. And so I turned around because I sleep on my stomach. And there was a being very, very tall uh, that had on like a cowl. You know, with the what well, we call them hoodies, but you know, with 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 the with the the rope belt and this cowl over its head, but very muscular. Uh, you could see the muscles through the robe, and he stuck his hands out, and this uh, apple green light hit my stomach, and I I felt nothing. It was just bizarre, and then it dissolved. Uh, uh, the molecules dissolved like like you just dissolved. At that time, I had a blood clot. My legs, I'm a very thin person. My legs were swollen like LeBron James. I wish my leg was built <laughs> like, like it was. And um, I called, um, I, was, I was hyped up. I called Preston Dennett, who I'm sure you heard sure. of or know. He's written two books. Yes. I called Preston and Preston wasn't home because it was, it was 10 of 7. Uh, in LA, well, in California, and I'm on the East Coast, and I couldn't go to sleep. And but when I looked down at my legs, the blood clot was gone. And I remember the next morning. I didn't have the presence of mind to take a picture, but I remember the next morning. I went to see my daughter and my ex, and they both said at the same time, "Oh my God, they healed you." And my blood, the, the big thing was having to go to when I went to the doctor, because I had to go like every week to 10 days and they would stick, prick, prick, put a little prick in my uh, in my in my finger and test, the, you know, the blood and that kind of thing. And I was taking Coumadin and a bunch of blood thinners to shrink this blood clot and they would not let it go. How did this happen? What happened? Of course, I couldn't tell them. And uh uh, they were getting a little, you know, well, 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 we don't understand. You were just here 10 days ago. Your leg was swollen like a balloon. 
And I, I was trying to say, maybe the medicine worked. I don't know. And finally, I said to uh, the doctor, I said, aren't you happy for me, though? We don't know what happened. But aren't you happy? My blood clot is gone. Be happy for me. <laughs> and that kind of threw them. And they, they let it go. And they also took me off the Coumadin because they wanted me to stay on it indefinitely. And after that, I just said, no, um, I don't want to stay on this. And so those were... Uh, two of many experiences um, that I've had with uh, seeing star people. Right. I mean, you you call them star people. Why do you yes. use that particular term rather than extraterrestrial or interdimensional? Um... Well, I, I I will use those from time to time. What I what I stay away from is alien, because I just don't think you know. I I I, I just it just doesn't feel. Um, it just doesn't feel good to me. Right. But no, I, I may call them off-world intelligences. I've called them extraterrestrials. Um, I, I, I try to keep in mind that these are sentient beings, that they have a humanity, for lack of a better word. Some of them have families. And so I just don't, you know, I try to stay away from alien. But, you know, I, I believe some of these beings do both. Uh, they are inter- they can travel interdimensionally. Some, some of them have a ship. Uh, some of them don't need ships to travel. So the universe is just teeming with life. And so I don't want to get caught up into names, but I, I just, alien just seems harsh to me. Right. Victor, do you want to ask? Yeah, I, Michael. Uh, thanks, Richard. Before, before the realization came, let's call it the realization of what you went through. Uh, yes. What was your, what was your mindset uh, or your worldview or whatever you want to call it about either this kind of stuff or how are you existing pre the contact? What was your what was your worldview or mindset then? How did you enter the world? Great question. I was raised Baptist, so um, and I was um, already at that time getting away from that kind of Belton uh, Shung that worldview. Uh, I was not, I did not watch science fiction. I didn't read it. I mean, people marvel when I say I just started watching some Star Trek episodes uh, uh, three and a half, four years ago. But I'm glad I did because otherwise people would say, come on, man, you've been watching too many sci-fi movies. But um, no, I, I, you know, I believed in, you know, Jesus as savior and Trinity and, you know, I, I that's how I was raised. But before before these contacts, I was already getting away from that. I was already reading existential philosophy and 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 things like that. I was already studying the occult and and for lack of a better word, and metaphysics and healing and and those types of things, the psychic phenomenon. And so, you know, the old adage when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So I was already getting away from that. Uh, it just because because that worldview just wasn't working for me anymore. Thus, the move from the uh, Baptist tradition mm-hmm. to Unitarian Universalism, which still had its, um, you know, very materialistic, very intellectual, very, uh, um, you know, worshiping at the altar of reason, if you will, but it gave me more room to explore. Right. Uh, there was no creeds or anything I had, no doctrine I had. I could work out my own salvation, if you will, with fear and trembling, to coin a phrase. Yeah, so that was my mindset prior 
to having these experiences. Yeah, you really didn't need an institution to interpret reality for you. Exactly. And and I want to be clear that I have friends and that 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 perspective still works for them and 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 so I respect that it just stopped working for me. And and unitarian universalism Again, free thinking, that kind of thing, but very rational religion, very, you know, the, the thing that attracted me to it was yeah, I didn't have to leave my, my, my brain at the door. But the flip side of that was, again, if you couldn't see, feel, touch, taste or smell it, for many people, it didn't exist. Now, that has that has changed and is changing. But I just felt more at home there. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very interesting perspective, yeah. Michael, with the new book, Initiation, this is a self-help guide for yes. other experiencers. So, obviously, you know, there, you felt that there was a need for this, If and this book wasn't available for you when you were going through it. So, what what did you think, or what were the sort of the questions or the types of, what was the kind of help you needed uh, you know, looking back that you didn't get, so that's which propelled you to write this book. What kind of help specifically yeah. did you need? Great questions. Well, you remind me of uh, uh, the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, who says life is lived forward, but it's only understood backwards. Um, but I think you you hit the nail on the head. I was looking for what I couldn't get, just even to talk to people about it. Now, when it first happened, and I feared for my sanity, I went to mental health professionals, um, uh, the late Bud Hopkins was a friend of mine, and he regressed me at one time. My initial regression was by Dr. Gene Mundy. I was just trying to hold on to my sanity. And I had a support group at the time, and it meant a lot to me. But most people don't have that. And I know so many people, especially, you know, being on Ancient Aliens, and people contact me from all walks of life, all races, all, and they say, you know, your work has touched me, and let me tell you what happened to me. Do you think I'm crazy? Can I still be a religious person and believe in extraterrestrials and UFOs? And so I just said, I can, uh, um, what has happened to me, I viewed as positive. And I had a lot of trauma psychologically, uh, and even to this day, you know, kind of afraid of the dark, kind of, you know, sleeping till the lights are not as bad as I used to be 20 years ago, but those fears are still there. But I just wanted to reach out and say, you're not alone, that, that, that people will listen to you. You need someone to listen to. But I tell you, the biggest thing that helped me was when the military just came out. um, And one is, you know, I wish one would be, they could be a little more transparent, but all of a sudden people don't snicker so much. When you talk about this, the you know uh, whether it's you're, you know some of these stories on the page of Washington Post, New York Times, um, and so it's not you know it's it's taken a little more seriously, and so the timing is right now where people can say, hey, uh, let me tell you what happened to me, and people don't say to you like they said to me, um, you know what are you nuts? Uh, I had a colleague, a ministerial colleague, many years ago when I was in Boston doing a workshop, and uh, I told him, 
you know, I, I trusted and, and they, you know, they, they listened and they said, Michael, I, I, I believe in the possibility of what you just told me. And but if you want to have a career as a minister in this denomination, you must never repeat that story again. <laughs> and so, you know, and even the response that I've gotten now um, it's just been wonderful. And I think it's the right time now. Uh, we just got about three minutes before the uh, the break here. Let me just ask a, a question. We'll start the conversation and continue after. And and I mean, I've I've been broadcasting in this arena for twenty years. I've never seen a UFO. Certainly, I've never had you know a contact experience, as far as I know. Um, and so my my question has always been, you know, when people reveal what has happened to them. You know why? Why him, not me? Uh, maybe your your ex wife thinking the same thing. You had the experience; she didn't. Why you, not them? That I can't answer. I mean, I, I I've had a a psychic tell me at one time who I never mentioned this to. The first time they gave me a reading, this was years ago. Uh, they told me what they saw around me. I never mentioned this to them. And they told me that this was sort of like something I agreed to prior uh, to this incarnation. That resonated with me. It was so subjective. You can't prove that. But they said that this is not the first time. In other lifetimes, you've had these beings around you. Uh, and, and, and you have worked with them. Um, I That's as far as I can go with that. I, I wish I knew. Um, but... Uh, they have been coming to me. And I know some people who say, I wish it would come to me. That would happen to me. And I say, well, be careful what you ask for. And then I've had some friends who said, man, I, I just could not deal with that waking up and, you know, and seeing these beings in my room. Um, so that, that, that's that's as far as I can go it's, without being in because right. it's so subjective. I, I wonder if I mean, has have, well, I'll save this one for after the break. I'll, I'll uh, mention it now and you think on it. We'll come back and discuss. But and that is have experiencers or contact experiencers come to you and said, it's happening to me. I, I want it to stop. How do I make it yes. stop? We'll, yes. we'll pick that up uh, on the other side. Uh, the Reverend Michael Carter is with us. The book is Initiation, the Spiritual Transformation of the Experiencer, a Guide for Contact Experiencers. Victor Vigiani, Zeland News Network stays with us. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Michael Carter, and the new one is Initiation, the Spiritual Transformation of the Experiencer, a Guide for Contact Experiencers. Uh, the paperback uh, out, well, just last month, available at Amazon. Um, so is there help in the book if someone has had contact 
and maybe it hasn't been a positive experience or maybe it was intended to be, but they don't interpret it that way and they'd like it to stop. Is there anything that can be done? This is what I have had, um, and it's a great question, Richard. This is what I have uh, learned from other folks and I have passed it on. Um, Sometimes... At least a friend of mine just very recently was talking about this uh, in the next, last few weeks. And I recommend it because someone, an experiencer, had told me about it, uh, getting a little nightlight. And I don't know, you know, so far that has been working for them for the past month or so, but they've got a little nightlight. And so they're not totally in the dark uh, in the room. So psychologically that helps. I don't know. I think if these beings want to come, Nothing's going to stop that. The other thing I um, did, and because I've had some entities, I don't know if they were uh, star people or not, but um, I could just feel the room. It was a different energy in my room. I just take sage of uh, sweet grass and I sage my apartment. I sage, uh, I sage the entrance. I save my bedroom and I'm particularly focused on the corners of the room because a lot of energy just just kind of gathers there. Um, that seems to help. And I've had some people, my, 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 my friends who are really very, very Christian, I've heard them say that if a, if a being enters, they will say to them, I'm protected uh, by, uh, by the, the white light of, of, of Jesus Christ. I, I, I guess that works. Um, but people have come to me as as you've asked, and th- it hasn't been a pleasant experience. And 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 it's not for everybody. I I feel like I was very fortunate in in those ways. But to answer your question again, to go over it, the nightlight seems to be working for people. Definitely, I would say you sage your place, whether you were having visitations or not, just to get people, you know, get the energies that were there out. All right. And uh, some people uh, uh, visualize themselves in like a protective bubble, those kinds of things. Victor, go ahead. Yeah, I, it, you've, you've raised so many questions, uh, Michael. Uh, and what Richard said earlier uh, about you know people who have uh, been excluded from these kinds of experiences, uh, you know, he said something about as far as he knew, um, <laughs> Richard has never had the experiences. Um, I think I think Richard, you and I have to write a book, and you know what we're going to title it. What's that? <laughs> as far as I know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as far as, that's, that's and that, that leads me to the question that um, there are so many people who have experienced you know, what you're describing, and you know yes. I, I've dealt with this this phenomenon for for literally decades, Michael. Uh, in many different ways, and I've been fortunate enough to to meet with and interview and and be in the office of Dr. John Mack, and uh, his, yes, his, yes. his his understanding and sharing all of his insights, and that has brought me to the point of of, of trying to come to grips with uh, how these entities come to us from what what John Mack calls the subtle realm or the non the non corporeal realm of the existence within the cosmos. And have you ever had experiences where these beings share with you this whole idea of a, a shared consciousness or this this idea of uh, of um, the otherness of the of, of the cosmos where we're just not plugged into it as corporeal beings, but once you make the leap with these beings, you automatically become 
part of it by proxy. You, you know what I'm saying? Well, I think that's what happened to me. I mean, I mean, my whole worldview changed. Now, on a couple of occasions, I was shown a past life. Uh, on one occasion, and, 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 and because they weren't speaking to me, I recall only once a reptilian being spoke to me and the lips didn't move, but I heard the voice in, you know, in my head. As far as my uh, 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 gray-looking friends, uh, they would show me pictures. Like at one time, they showed me a picture of of of, of myself, and then a, uh, a, a next to it a, a a monk. And I I just looked at that as they were trying to say this. You you've done this before. This whole religion trip that you're being on. Now they didn't come out and tell me that, but I. But after my experiences, I, I just I, I meditated more, which opened me up more. I started studying um, uh, other ways of being, not only other religions but consciousness. Uh, uh, you, you know, altered states of consciousness, if you will. So it was like I was being guided to that. I lost my sense of. And again, it wasn't like they waved a magic wand. I was already on this journey. I think their visits expedited it. Um, I, you know, I, I started um, really just feeling more connected to the earth. And I started to get it just not on an intellectual level that I'm connected to all of this. And what I do to others, I'm doing to myself. Now, people may say, oh, my God, Michael, I know that. But if we really knew it, we would change the way we acted. And I'm not saying that I know people who have this consciousness and they never had uh, a, a, a contact with, a, a, you know, with otherworldly intelligences or interdimensional beings, at least as far as I know. But this is where it led me. And it wasn't again, it wasn't like they were saying you need to do this, but it was kind of like I was being led that way. The right book would come my way. Uh, uh, the, the the right mentor would come my way when I was ready. And so I, by these visits, each and every time I was changed, my energy changed, my outlook changed, my heart was more open, I had more capacity to love. Uh, I, 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 I was I, I was more vulnerable. I was more willing to take risk and become more authentic. What did that look like? Sometimes it looked like me going to a therapist to work on some family of origin issues. Sometimes it was me um, going, you know, counseling other people. But my consciousness started to shift, and each time I met them, it was it just took me deeper into myself, so that I I was more involved with this reality and i didn't and, and it, it was disconcerting in some ways because i was like why can't everybody else see this and what was passing for sanity on this planet and in this country i began to see more and more as insanity but i'm here uh in this body and so the lesson for me was um to learn to love and 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 and, and to share that Unconditionally, does, does uh, with, with fellow human, with my fellow human beings. Yeah. Does it bother you, Michael? That I mean, you've just described over the past, you know, minute and a half or so, some extremely intense understandings of of how you view the cosmos and the, the reality 
and all, all these really exponentially bizarre experiences that, that very few people can understand. How do you, how do you sense that your experiences and what I just described uh, to, to you? How can the general public become? And I know this is a really difficult question to answer. How do you think that the general public will in, in, interpret what you're saying on, on that exponentially bizarre end of that spectrum? How can they? How can they even completely understand it at all? How, how do you frame well, that? I, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was speaking at conferences before we were dealing with COVID. I, you know, I had my slides and mostly I would be talking about because people became fascinated with religion and UFOs and these beings. And so I have a whole a two hour talk. I have a whole segment on that. But I made it a point um, and maybe it's expected of me. I'm a clergy person. But I make it a point my last 45 minutes or so that I talk about the spiritual transformation. And every time I do, you can hear a pin drop because I I mean, and and people are, are they're on the edge of their seats, too, in the sense of, you know, if they're looking at the Bible and with the Dhammapada, with the Upanishads and oh, my God, that could be interpreted this way and that way. They're, They're there. But the thing is, people want to walk out with, whether they've seen extraterrestrials or not, they want to walk out with, how do I deal with my fellow human beings? How can I use the tools from these avatars, these saints, these people who've come before me? How can I use that that spirituality and that wisdom and bring it into now? It's almost like I call it bringing the timeless into time. I'm uh, uh, sorry, Michael, for the interruption. Speaking of time, I got to duck away just for a moment and we'll come back and pick it up on the other side. Michael Carter stays with us along with Victor Vigiani and uh, we're offering some guidance for contact experiencers. Back with more in a moment. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Initiation, the spiritual transformation of the experiencer, a guide for contact experiencers. So uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had her the five, uh, it was a five stages of, of dying and, and grief. Is there kind of a parallel like evolution uh, that an experiencer goes through. Can you can you look at your progression, the evolution of the way you was it? You know, did you go from anger to fear, or how did that work? Yeah, that, yeah. I I didn't have the well. I, well, eventually I came to acceptance. Uh, I, I, I it was fear. It was definitely fear for all of the obvious reasons. Uh, so there was there was the fear, the disbelief. I mean, I went to seek mental health professionals. I I went to seek to get regression so I could get a handle on what was happening to me. And then there was oh, did we lose Michael? Victor, are you there? I'm here. Oh, I think Michael. Uh... Oh. 
Did Michael fall off there? Oh, maybe maybe a streaming issue. Maybe he froze a little bit. Okay. Right. I was asking him about that that you know those stages the 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 um, seven or five stages mm-hmm. of, of grieving. I mean, you've you've counseled people in this regard. Is it while we're waiting for Michael to join us again? Um, do you do you, is that your experience that, that people go through this that, that there is almost a predictable evolution of whether it's you know f- fear, disbelief, anger, acceptance. Oh, the, the the whole idea that's extremely important in, in uh, those who experience this thing, uh, initially, uh, by, by and large, most of them is just a complete confusion. And that complete confusion turns into, as you can well imagine, with beings appearing at the end of your bed or whatever that happens to be, is absolute fear. I mean, that, that to me is the, is, is the crux of the, the initial experience. However, in my experience with contactees, with experiencers, and even with my dialogue with John Mack, I keep on going back to it. He emphasized so strongly in all the people that he dealt with that that whole idea of fear and victimization was there to begin with. But for some reason, uh, with the kinds of beings that, that interact with us as, 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 human, as, as human beings, um, that fear and trepidation and that whole guys that we lose that we lose we have you back michael i'm just got you I mean, back. Yeah. yeah we got you back we were just sort of expanding on that whole idea of uh you know fear leading to ultimately i guess acceptance yeah. that you were talking about yeah it was it was that it was that but there was separation there was uh definitely um the trials and tribulations there were teachers and mentors like i write about this in the book there was also the desire to study ancient civilizations. Now, people may do other things. I, I changed. I, I became a healer. I started studying Reiki. I started studying reading auras and stuff like that. I, I changed my career from being in the theater to becoming a healer and going into ministry. I changed my diet. I became a vegetarian. Hmm. So there were some things that changed. And I, 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 I tend to think it was because of my experiences. Victor, you want to you know, jump I, in? No, I was just reflecting upon that. It, whatever these experiences are, it has been my experience, Michael, and you'll probably, you know, you just echoed that, that, that this whole feeling, is that once you go through these kinds of things uh, that you've been through, uh, be it once, twice, or, you know, many, many times, your entire being gets uh it goes through a metamorphosis you change how you look at the world you, you mentioned that you became a vegetarian and you did other things you, you question your faith etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, these kinds of experiences and the people that i've dealt with go, they, they all go through this same transition of initial confusion uh, initial fear uh, initial victimization and then eventually at some point along the line uh, there's a there's a sense of uh, of an evolving acceptance of what these beings are trying to transmit, and I'm not sure why they begin with the whole fear. Maybe that's just us as responders. Uh, but when when you when you go through this whole fear and victimization uh, process, and then eventually realize, my goodness, they're trying to tell me something. They're trying to tell us something. What is the message? And my response to all of that is. Uh, and I've told this to the experiences that I've dealt with, the, just ask them, what do you want from me? 
what is it that you want from me? And that brings them into your court. And I've I've dealt with experiences who've actually said this to these beings, and these beings respond like, oh my goodness, I didn't expect that. And that's, that, that, that to me is a very important issue with how we as this human species respond to their intervention as off-world civilizations by asking them, what do you want from me? Did you ever ask that question, Michael? No, I, I didn't. And, and I want to expound on that a bit. Um, for me, just the shock of waking up and them there, and some of these people look very bizarre. That's the fright. And that's very human. And and I just did not have the presence of mind, and I and I don't know if they were even there that long. Yeah, I mean, you, you know what I mean. I don't even know if they were there to have the conversation when they healed the the, the blood clot that I had. Yeah. We didn't have a conversation, but the point was because of other uh, visits, it was clear that because of to me because of what I was going through that I needed to carry this love out into the world. I don't think everybody gets a chance to have a conversation. And I, 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 I guess I would envy people who can sit there and maybe it'll happen to me later in life and, and have this exchange. I have yet to have that. Or maybe, or, or, or maybe I've had it and just not conscious of it. But for me, I kind of know what it was about. And, 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 and that's why I've changed my life. Okay. And, I mean, I wanted to change my life anyway, but I, I again, I think that the, the spiritual it was the spiritual transformation for me, and to go out and live uh, this new self. All that right, had, a caterpillar became a butterfly. Got to jump in here one more time. We'll take one final sure. timeout. Come back and uh, continue our conversation. The Reverend Michael J. S. Carter, Initiation, Victor Vigiani, Zeland News Network. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra from Zoomer Radio. Michael Carter stays with us for a few moments yet, along with Victor Vigiani, Zeland News Network. Uh, so I would, um, I've spoken to a number of uh, guests over the years that have had near-death experiences. And because of their transformation, it happened to them and not their spouse. That caused a huge rift in the relationship. Many relationships didn't survive it. I would imagine it would be a similar situation, and I know you address this in the book. Yes, it it, it can be very difficult uh, because the other person is, you know, it's it's like a part of your life that you can't really share. Um, and, And a lot of, because of the rapid changes that sometimes the experiencer can go through, and sometimes that may mean a change in relationship where maybe the experience feels the experiencer may feel like he or she has to move on. And so that leaves the other person um, pretty vulnerable. And, you know, it's, it's, it can be very painful. And even in even in even if you don't break up now, I was very fortunate with the partners that I have um, and even the woman I'm seeing now who happens to be a therapist, but, uh, and she's open to this, but uh, it, it can be a challenge. And so there's always got to be that communication every step of the way, even more so, um, because it can destroy. 
And I, I, I'm not sure, but I think there's data to support that there's a high divorce rate among people who've had uh, uh, these, these contact experiences. Victor? Yeah, I, I, can, I can echo some of that sentiment, Michael, because the, the, the idea, and once again, I go back to John Mack, who's my stalwart and my rock on this, because he has um, described many, many relationships uh, where, you know, the husband has had an experience and the wife doesn't understand it, and eventually they, they come to grips with the fact that they have to accept this, this other relationship with the, uh, these other beings who are um, essentially... Uh, controlling their lives in a way that the other that the other person the relationship just does not understand and and can't come to grips with. So uh, uh, on that basis, and with all of these things with interpersonal relationships being and having this this stuff being all familial, you know, in terms of you know mothers having gone through it and children going, how do you see this whole um, experience or situation, the context is evolving because it, it's changed a lot from what I initially saw. How do you see this evolving through contact or how people will eventually come to a, a new understanding of what the contact experience is as how it's evolved over the past 20 or 30 years? Where is it? Yeah, 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 it, yeah, it has changed. And, and, and I was, I was uh, fortunate enough to have met Dr. Mack on several occasions, and I was more in line with his camp than I was with Bud's, uh, uh, and, and, and even though Bud was a good friend. Um, I, what, 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 what I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to think through that, and I mentioned it in the book, I, I feel that more people are going to come out of the closet, if you will, and start sharing these experiences. And uh, I, I see a time, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm using, you know, uh, the military coming out with the Tic Tac news and all this other stuff. Uh, and, and so now it's taken more seriously. And now people who've had the experiences can come out and they can talk about these experiences. And, 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 and then they can talk about, you know, they've been what we've been talking about it since the beginning about what we're doing to the environment, the messages that we're getting. Uh, people are changing, they're becoming um, cosmic citizens. Now that's gonna be a threat to some people because for all the obvious reasons. But I see things as we go forward, yes, there's this pestilence and there's the social, political, cultural um, uh, challenges that we're having, but I see this globally that, uh, People uh, who've had these experiences are going to be on the forefront of really trying to make changes in our society because eventually it's going to come out that, that we're not alone. Uh, 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 and, and, and so who's going to be walking point on this, for better or for worse, are going to be people who have had the experience. And I, I just see that happening so clearly in the next, I would say, in the next few years. We're going to be talking about things as a society globally that we weren't even allowed to think about just 10, 15, 20 years ago. You're, you're, so I, I guess what you're saying is that all of the information has come forward. I know Richard and I have been talking about this for the past, how long, 15, 20 years, yeah, yeah. whether the military and the secrecy and the whole thing. I mean, that, that is going to eventually, 
in our assessment, in my assessment, is that it's going to take a back seat eventually as this thing evolves. It's going to take a back seat to all of the, the contact experiences and the authenticity with which people like yourself and all the other experiences have gone through. That will be that will become the predominant worldview of what the UAP issue is. It won't be just unidentified flying objects, which is so gross and so, in so many ways, uh, unauthentic. It will become an experiencer issue where these beings are attempting to contact us through you, through people like you, and that's what's going to take. That's going to replace all of the military and the national yes. security issues that are going on right now. Do, Yes, I agree. Nuts and bolts. I agree with you. I agree. You know, because it's bigger than nuts and bolts. Mm -hmm. It's even bigger than just seeing these beings. It's about we we're on a planet that is beautiful, Mm -hmm. and 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 you know we've we've heard this from our Native American brothers and sisters and Aboriginal people. I mean, this is not new, but we're endangering it, and and we don't realize Mm -hmm. that the Earth doesn't need us. It can shake us off like fleas. We need the earth. And so it's even bigger. But but the only way that's going to change is if we change our consciousness from one of separatism, you know, moving from the illusion of separatism and moving into the truth of what it means to be connected, that we are bigger and larger and more powerful than we are. And that's what I was getting at uh, when I was talking about when I have that point in my talks where we're not even really talking about UFOs and star people, interdimensional beings. We're talking about that kind of divinity, and I don't want to romanticize it, but but that, that's in each and every one of us, and that we can be better than we are. And people need to hear that. Because they're not, I, I mean, I got a standing ovation. I know it, it knocked me, it, it threw me for a loop, and I don't do it for that. But I, when I was talking about the spiritual transformation that can happen, people that's what they want to know about. How can I do this? Because whether, whether if I have a visit tonight, guess what? Tomorrow I got to get up, take my daughter to school, you know, I've got to get to the church. I've got to go grocery shopping. I've still got to bring this knowledge and this wisdom and all the flaws and everything that I have being a human being. I have to get up tomorrow and brush my teeth and go out into the world. And people want to know, how can I do that with some authenticity and integrity and some love? Initiation, the spiritual transformation of the experiencer, a guide for contact Experiencers now available in paperback. That's at Amazon. Where else can they get it, Michael? Uh, Barnes and Nobles and some select bookstores. And uh, they can call me and or, or email me. And if I have a few extra, I can autograph them and send them. And they can contact you through the website, michaeljscarter.com. michaeljscarter.com. And at michaeljscarter at gmail.com. That's my email. michaeljscarter at gmail.com. Yes, sir. Well, thanks for hanging out for the last hour, Michael. It's been a delight. It's been great, and I thank you so much. And uh, just stay well, and uh, maybe we'll do it again. Absolutely. And uh, to you, Victor, my friend, always uh, great connecting with you. Thank you so much. And we will watch with great interest the uh, development of this breaking news that we discussed in the uh, the first hour 
um, having to do with the uh, House of or the Congress, the U.S. Congress, basically uh, ordering the Pentagon to start studying UFOs. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. You're welcome. It's, it's so much of a pleasure, Richard. We'll talk soon. All right. Uh, quick programming note. Next week for the full two hours, Kent Baines will be here. Terrific writer, the most dangerous blog in the world. We'll talk about the Planetary Awakening Code, exposing the cryptocracy's time manipulation system and how we can use it against them. That and uh, much more. He's on for the full two hours. He was on with Coast. He was on with me for Coast to Coast, but he got sick towards the end of the interview and and, uh, had to bail. So he'll be back for the full two hours. We'll do it justice, I promise you. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.